Before I jump into things, I want to give a special uh, welcome to um, a, sp- a church plant that's coming to Evanston. And I'm going to ask uh, Ransom City Church, if you guys would mind, go ahead and stand up. Uh, Seth is the lead church planter. You're going to raise your hand. Uh, they're, they're moving here to plant a church, and it's encouraging to see like-minded gospel churches and church plants coming to Evanston. So if you have time after the service, surround these people and just encourage them and build them up to, to preach the gospel and, and to continue to be firm and steadfast. So I'm glad you guys are here. One week from today, it all starts. <laughs> We're going to start our prelude to revival. Now, here's the deal. <laughs> I want you to show up on time next week, okay? Because it's at 10, our normal time, but time change happens next week. You know what I'm talking about? They let savings time. It's like, wow, how does that just catches you off guard? Don't let it catch you off guard next week or you will miss the service. All right, so... Fix your clocks ahead, show up at 10 o'clock here. Now, the whole schedule, you can look at the schedule later. But at the end of the week on Friday, we are going to have baptisms. Now, every time I announce baptisms and I say a a little comment, sometimes people get mad at me. So I'm going to make sure this time I still say it. If you've not been baptized as a believer, you need to be baptized. I know I'm gonna get, people get mad at me, but if you've been baptized as a baby, like me, as not as a believer, okay? So you need to be baptized as a believer. And if you search the scriptures, you'll find more unicorns in the Bible than infant baptism, all right? You're not going to find unicorns, all right? But you need to be baptized, all right? And so if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, not been baptized, come talk to me, talk to Pastor John, and we will get you set up to be baptized the week of prelude. For those of you who are new here, you may be wondering, what is Prelude to Revival? From time to time, as individuals, as a church, we become sluggish. And I know some of you right now on your walk with the Lord are sluggish. Maybe a little numb, maybe a little off, things aren't quite right. And, and you know that, and, you, and you, you could use gospel renewal and revival in your life and that's what we're going to do with Prelude to Revival. It's our effort as a church to pause, set aside time and space to cry out to God, say, God, will you please renew us? Renew us in, in our thinking, in our heads. Renew us in our hearts and our affections. And renew us in our actions. We want to do stuff for you and for your glory. And that's what that whole week is going to be starting next Sunday. It's going to be great. I hope you can make as much as you can. We're going to spend a lot of time preaching, a lot of time praying. We're going to wake up at 5.30 in the morning to pray together, get in the Word together. We'll come back together at night. It's going to be a great week. Now, for those of you who've been with us, we've been moving toward that week. And one of the ways we've been moving toward that week is by dealing with sins in our lives that may be keeping us from God keeping us from revival and gospel renewal in our lives. And we've been calling these the traditional seven deadly sins. Maybe you've grown up hearing about the seven deadly sins. Now, of course, there's nothing more deadly about one sin over another sin. All sin separates us from God without the atonement of Christ. But we've been dealing with these seven deadly sins that hinder our relationship with the Lord, and we want to deal with them as we're leading up to revival. Now, so far, we have covered six of them. We have covered pride, envy, Wrath, sloth, lust, gluttony, 
And the last one we're going to cover today is greed. Are you a greedy person? Let's just be very honest this morning. If you were born or raised in America, the reality is that most of you, including me, have a heart that defaults to greed. It's in the air we breathe. It's in the water we drink. And for you to be here as an American to say that you don't ever struggle with greed, then you struggle with lying, all right? <laughs> because we all have this heart that defaults to greed. And so how can you tell? How can you tell? I've been wondering, how can you tell if you struggle with greed? And th- this pastor named Tim Kelly gives a great example of how Americans struggle with greed. And it goes like this. You struggle with greed... Because you as an American confuse your wants and your needs. You confuse your wants and your needs. All the things that you want, you think you need. I need some new shoes. I need a new coat. I need some new jeans. I need an upgrade. I need a new computer. I need a new bike. I need, I need, I need, and on and on it goes. And Keller says, the rest of the world knows better. They know better. It's like they look at us and disgust, and they see us whining on and on about our needs, and they know better. So what I want us to do is be honest, have some semblance of self-awareness that all of us have a heart that defaults to greed. We have this this consistent self-centered greed. It's like we're always headed in the direction of consistent self-centered greed. And what I'm trying not to get you to do is think to yourself, oh, Today, I'm not going to be greedy, and I'm going to live in this neutral position of non-greed. And here's my argument, main argument today. Unless you're going in a different direction, a different trajectory, every single time, you're going to default back to consistent self-centered greed. This is what your heart's going to do. It's going to go that direction. Do not think, I will just be neutral. No greed. Uh Uh-uh. Won't work that way. You will default back to consistent self-centered greed. It's just what our hearts will do, especially as Americans. So the question is this, what's that other direction? (laughs) There is nothing to be neutral about, and we don't want to go that way. What's the other direction? And it's this, consistent, sacrificial generosity. Unless we're headed in the direction of consistent, sacrificial generosity, all the time we're going to default back to the heart of greed. So here we go. We're in the book of Proverbs. Let's turn there. Proverbs chapter 11. We've been going through the book of Proverbs over the last several months. We preach through books of the Bible here, and this book has been particularly instructive concerning the seven deadly sins, and this verse today is concerning greed. So in Proverbs 11, 24... In verse 25, 
I'm going to go ahead and read that to you. Proverbs 11, 24, and 25. Here we go. One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he, ha- what he should give and only suffers want. Whoever brings blessings will be enriched, and one who waters will himself be watered. There is a Bible translation called the New King James. You've heard of the King James, but the New King James, for those of you who have it, if you don't have it, I'm going to say it, say it to you. It, it interprets this Hebrew here, the very first of verse 24. We, it says, one gives freely, yet grows all the richer. The New King James, James says, there is one who scatters, yet increases more. Scatters. And we don't use that language of scattering months much, but generosity is emphasized with this scattering language. So let me help you here visualize this. It may help you to think in the term of seeds. So I've got my little pouch here, I've got seeds, and I'm scattering the seeds out to grow, right? And so as I scatter them out, they go on the ground, they do their thing. And what happens? They grow something that's greater than the seed itself. However, if I say, you know what, I'm not going to scatter the seed, I'm going to keep the seed that I'm going to suffer want. I'm going to be worse off than I would have been if I would have thrown it out and grown stuff. Another way to explain this generosity with a scattering idea is business investing. If you own a business, a lot of times it is wise to invest wisely, to take your money, your capital, put it out there so that your business can grow and greater, greater can come back than what you put out. However, sometimes if you have a business and you don't want to grow it and you hold back and it's unwise to hold back at that time, then your, your business could go out of business. So here's this scattering idea playing out in the economy of God. And what the Word of God is saying with regard to the economy of God and the blessing of God, once again in verse 24, do you see it? One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. It's like that doesn't even make sense to us in our minds. If we give something away, I mean, this is just like if I give you something, here, do you, you want an iPhone? I'll just throw it out to you. You get it. I no longer have it. And you would think, therefore, I suffer want. But if I hold on to something, we think, I still have it, and therefore, maybe I can just grow richer. But you know what God does in his word? Check this out. God flips it. He totally flips it. Did, did you see it? He flips it. He says, if you give freely, here, have it all, then you will grow all the richer. Do I sound like a health and wealth preacher right now? What do you think? Does that kind of sound like that? Hold on, all right? Hold on, hold on. I'm preaching the word. Okay, hold on. We'll get to that in a moment. If you give freely, then you will grow all the richer. But if you hold back what you should give, then you will suffer what? Are you kidding me? That's what it says. Like, please explain. And I'll tell you what, my brothers and sisters, especially for those of you who are younger, if you get this now, if you get this now, it will, it will change your life and the way you view money and the way you view possessions and the way you view joy. I, I really want you to get this now. So I'm going to take the time to explain it the rest of our time here. So let's consider these two paths. Consistent, self-centered greed and consistent, sacrificial generosity. 
So before we jump into the details of greed, I want to make sure that I do not overstate my case because I don't, I don't want to be guilty of just overstating it. So let me share something with you with a book we've been looking at, uh, Seven Daily Sins by Jared Wilson. He says this on greed. Let's, let's look at this, make sure. So greed is not working hard to earn money. Good job, work hard, earn money. It's not saving or investing money in wise ways. And greed is not merely wanting certain things. Make sure I'm not overstating my case. See, I want you to understand, wealth is not the issue. It's your heart that is fixed on the stuff and the love of money. That is the issue. And this is how you can feel the heart of greed. You can feel the heart of greed when you want something and then you don't get it. You become moody and you pout. You ever see kids pout when they don't get something? It is not pretty. Have you ever seen an adult pout when they don't get something? You are not pretty. It does not look good. Pouting and moodiness when you don't get, that's not good. But get this. I would also say that it's not healthy when you get what you want and you're too happy about it. Too much so. Almost like, wow, that just doesn't seem healthy or or right. It almost seems like an idol. So greed's not about how we act when we don't get what we want. It's also about how we act when we do get what we want. So wealth is not the issue. It's often what's going on in our hearts. So let's consider some of these problems of consistent self-centered greed. Let's look at some of the harmful effects. I'm going to be throwing some Proverbs up, so get ready for it. Here we go. Proverbs 15, 27. Here's some of the harmful effects of greed. Proverbs 15, 27. Whoever is greedy for unjust gain troubles his own household, but he who hates bribes will live. A heart that is filled with greed can sometimes make unethical choices. Now, you can, the, 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 the point here talks about these political bribes or maybe a redirection of funds. And, man, we could go on and on about this. We live in Chicago. We live in Illinois. You know, just think about the Jacksons recently taking some of the, 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 the campaign money and buying gold watches and furs. Uh, you can go on to the ex-San uh, Diego mayor. She, she gambled with $1 billion dollars. Like, how do you gamble with a billion dollars? And some of that was some uh, nonprofit money. Uh, take the, the, the Dixon um, controller um, embezzling money to buy show horses and live a lavish lifestyle. We can go on and on politically. But for us, sometimes when we are greedy, it can make us do unethical things, to make unethical choices. And when we make these unethical choices, sometimes it can harm our families. So for some of you, you're thinking, I'm going to cut corners and make unethical choices so that I can benefit my family financially. But what you don't realize is that when you do that, you could actually be harming your family financially. Take, for example, this time of year. This past week, I started working on my taxes, like many of you are doing. Do you realize that when you work on your taxes, there's so many things that you can just ignore? Yeah, you know what I'm talking about? just kind of overlook, kind of like not even pay attention to. I mean, my my tax guy, I was interacting with him. I was kind of freaking out. He was saying, I need you to tell me all the things that you bought on the Internet where you did not pay taxes. Like, are you, what are you talking about? 
bought a lot of stuff on the internet. And like, I gotta go look all that up. And he helped me to figure out how to do that. But I was thinking, here's some ways you can just cut corners and ignore stuff, get a few extra bucks for the family, and, and everything's gonna be okay, right? And you, you know you feel that temptation. And you think, I'm gonna, I'm going to help my family. Do you think your family would be helped by an IRS audit? No. If you're not careful, greed can impact others closest to you in your family. And, and, I, and I know most of you in here are single, and you're like, well, I don't have a family yet. Singles, listen. For those of you who will get married one day, you are making choices now that will impact your future marriage and family. The character you're doing now will shape that. For example, I'm not going to embarrass this guy, but there's a guy in here who will be, remain unnamed who goes to our Sunday morning parenting class as a single. He's a single college student, the only single college student in the parenting class. And you may ask a single college student, why are you here in a parenting class? You have no kids, you're not married, and the idea is I want to know what it's going to be like in the future. So single ladies, find that guy (laughs) and marry that guy. First come, first serve, all right? Find him. That's who you want to marry. You want to think future. And same thing with finances. What you're doing with your money now impacts later. So think about that. What you're doing now impacts later. Your greed now can hurt them later. Damaging effects of greed. Another harmful effect of holding back and greed is that you're really just putting your security in the wrong place. Let me put up another verse for you. Proverbs eleven twenty eight. Whoever trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like a green leaf. So the righteous are flourishing, but those who are trusting in their money for security are going to fall. Very few of us would ever say, I have security issues tied to money. That's where my trust is. Because, you know, money says in God we trust, but we know our hearts often trust in money. And the problem with trusting in money is that money makes a bad God. Would you all agree with that? Money makes a bad God. It really does. It will, it will falter. It will not come through for us. Uh, consider Proverbs fifteen sixteen. Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble with it. I'm just curious. I don't want to see a show of hands, so just vote in your mind. How many of you have ever lost sleep over money? For those of you who are married, how many of you have ever gotten to fight with your spouse over money? Yeah. And you think to yourself, if we had more, we wouldn't fight. No, no. If you had more, your fights would just be bigger. I mean, it's often the case. Because money makes a bad God. If you think that money is going to be your solution for everything, it just makes a terrible God. Proverbs 23 and 4 and 5 talk about working hard to get money. How's not always good? Verse 4. Proverbs 23, 4 and 5. Do not toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist. When your eyes light on it, it is gone. For suddenly it sprouts wings, flying like an eagle toward heaven. It's interesting. Money's your God. It's going to fly away. For those of you who are cranking out all the hours, and you know who you are, cranking out all the hours to get money, you're ignoring maybe some priorities in your life, it's going to make a bad God for you. 
For those of you whose heart is set on money, maybe your heart is set on the stock market, your heart is going to go like the stock market. When it's up, you're going to be up. When it's down, you're going to be down because money makes a bad God. We cannot have our security there. We cannot put our trust there. And I could go on and on and on. I don't want to go on and on about greed and the damaging effects. You know, greed, holding back, it it not only hurts us, it, it hurts other people. Consider the poor. When you're holding back rather than giving to the poor, you're, you're, hurting to, you're hurting the poor. If you're holding back and collecting all this wealth, the Bible says that wealth won't do you any good in the day of wrath. At death, you can't take it with you. It's, it's not going to be your savior. It makes a bad savior. It's, it's false. Uh, if you hold back money, it's, it could help, it could hinder, in a sense, the advancement of God's kingdom. I know God's sovereign, he's advancing his kingdom, but in the foolishness of his people, when we hold money back, churches can flounder and missionaries cannot be sent out, and God's work will not go forth in some areas because of us holding back. So it's not just our greed can hurt us, it can hurt other things and other people and other gospel institutions. Uh, uh, yesterday we met as elders we're planning for the future vision, and our, our fiscal year ends at the end of April. Now, right now, we've got two months left. I, I've rarely talked to you guys about money, so give me a break here, okay? Two months left. We're down about $42,000 in our budget. So I'm just talking to you. It's your church. Don't just say it's my church. It's our church, okay? So I'm talking to you about your church down $42,000. In the whole, as we've got two more months, hopefully we'll make it up. So here is the good news. The good news is we have enough money to make our budget and to push past our budget. That is the good news. The bad news is you still have it and have yet to give it. All right? I'm just letting you know, you're a church. And we see when we hold back, it can hinder gospel movement. So just, just keep that in mind. So there are a lot of problems that we can have with self-centered, consistent self-centered greed. And, and you know this, so I'm not going to be the preacher that goes on and on bashing on greed because we all know how terrible it is and how messed up our lives. So let's, let's kind of quit going down that path of greed and consider what does consistent, sacrificial generosity look like? And in order to get us going down this path, I'm going to tell a story. And I know there's some kids in here, so I hope the kids listen to the story. This is a great story. I want you to remember, I want you all to remember this story. It's about this woman. Now, this woman one day went to a religious service. And as she went to this religious service, she brought all the money that she had with her to the service that day. So every single cent, every, all the money that she had, she brought with her. Now, when it came time for the offering at this particular religious service, this woman put in all of her money, all of it. Remember, she brought everything she had. She put it all in. Now, let's stop. If you had a chance to speak to that woman, what would you say to her? Or if you would talk to me, if you say, Pastor, I'm really concerned, what would you say to me about that woman? Would you say, Pastor, I think that she is really irresponsible? Would you say, Pastor, I really think that she needs a Dave Ramsey financial seminar because she's really irresponsible? Or would you say, well, there goes another member of the welfare state? Or would you say, well, you know, if I had a chance to talk to her before she put the money in, then I would have talked her out of it. 
And what's interesting about this story, for those of you who know the Bible, it's actually in the Bible. And Jesus saw this event happen before his eyes, and he spoke highly of this woman. He commended her. Let's keep that in mind, because that is radically different than the way that we think, right? It's radically different than the way we think. So if I start talking about consistent, sacrificial generosity, I'm trying to push us more and more this direction. Okay, so this is what we're going to do. We're going to explore some ideas of this, what has been called a surprising contradiction. Look in your Bibles again, back at Proverbs 11. Let's look again at these two verses. Turn back there if you turn somewhere else, Proverbs 11. Proverbs 11 says, One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and one who waters will himself be watered. Now, this is, a, like I said, it's been called a surprising contradiction that when you give to others, you're the one who benefits. Remember, God flips it. So you, grow, you give freely, you, you get richer. You bring a blessing, you're enriched. You water, you're watered. So this sacrificial generosity leads to abundant blessings. So the question we want to ask is, what do we mean by abundant blessings? What does it mean when the Bible says grows all the richer, will be enriched, will be watered? We know that we give it honor to the Lord, and we know that it brings glory and praise to Him. But what are we supposed to make of these abundant blessings? And let me just tell you, these verses like this are all over the Bible. Even in the New Testament, it says stuff about giving and you're going to be blessed, and it talks about all the richer. I mean, that terminology is in the Bible. So let's, what, what are we talking about? What kind of blessings are we talking about when we talk about giving and we're going to be blessed? What does that mean? All right, so here we go. Number one, number one is spiritual blessing. Let me put this up for you. The blessing of consistent sacrificial generosity, number one, spiritual blessings. There is so much great joy that you can have and growth that can happen in your life when you start giving your money. Let's say that you have $180. I just gave you 180 bucks, and you have some options, whatever you want to do with it. And some of you have the choice. You want to either buy some jeans, expensive jeans, or you want to support a child, sponsor a child for six months. Jeans? Or whatever else you want to buy. You don't have to buy jeans. Child for six months. What do you want to do? Well, let's just say you decide, okay, I'm going to let the jeans go. I'm going to sponsor this child for six months, give some money to this child so they can eat and have some semblance of, of a normal life. Now, once you give the money there, what's going to happen? Well, we all know that giving our money to the child is going to make our conscience feel better, right? You're like, okay, I feel better in my conscience. I, I'm not so plagued. I don't feel guilty. And you will understand, okay, I'm making a difference in that child's life. I'm helping that child eat. Maybe you're putting some clothes on that child, giving some housing. So I feel good that I'm making an impact there. And you know from the Word of God that you also give because God says to give to the poor, right? So you feel like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm walking in line with the Word of God, and I'm giving to the poor, and so that also grows me spiritually. The same can be said with regard to drinking coffee, okay? Let's just say 
that you want to support missionaries, but you don't have any money, and so you decide, okay, I'm not going to drink Starbucks coffee anymore. I'm going to drink that nasty stuff at the office or at the cafeteria, and I'm going to give my money to support a missionary. And so you realize, okay, I'm being blessed spiritually because I'm foregoing uh, something that I really want so that the gospel can go forth. But let's continue to take it beyond, 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 and not just do the things that may be comfortable for us a little bit or uncomfortable a little bit. Let's just keep pushing it, pushing it, pushing it. For example, the founder of Crew, Campus Crusade, I know many of you are part of Crew. The founder of Crew is Bill Bright. Now, Campus Crusade crews all around the world. Bill Bright, amazing man of God. He was a great example. But he was a great example also with the way that he used his money. Uh, he was really known for it in his, his later stages of life. So I, I think he won this prize, the Templeton, Templeton Prize, and he won a million dollars. What would you do if you won a million dollars? That would be pretty awesome. Well, what did he do? He gave it away to missions. And then just to push it even further, Bill Bright, end of his life, uh, I guess retiring, entering retirement. He had a lot of retirement, as many of you uh, will have retirement. What did he do with his retirement? And uh, Don't throw stuff at me. He gave it away. To missions. And you would say, Bill Bright, you're being absolutely irresponsible. And Bill Bright would say, it's just joy. It's what I, I want to do. I'm blessed. It's awesome that I get to give. And it, you may not take it that far, and that's okay. But you say, you know, it's awesome that I get to participate in this. I get to see the gospel go forth, and I get to be blessed in return to know that I'm taking part of something awesome. But here's something else that's really cool. It's really cool to think that when we act in these sacrificial ways, all that we're doing is kind of responding on the way that God has treated us. Can I tell you something really amazing? The Bible talks about Jesus, how he was in glory in heaven with all the riches you could possibly imagine, right? He gave up the riches and took on flesh, in a sense, becoming very poor, obviously. And to make, take it even further, he became poor and he was sacrificed on a cross for our sins, buried and rose again. And get this, he became poor so that we can become rich. The Bible says that. He became poor so we can be rich. We're rich in him. We have forgiveness of sins. We have, we're, we're clothed in his righteousness. We're accepted. And we're like, wow, I can't believe God has given me acceptance. Turn his way as wrath from me through Jesus. I'm, I'm rich in him. But get this. Now we have the opportunity because we've been so motivated in our hearts and transformed. We can actually imitate Jesus now. And we can deplete ourselves so that others may have and the gospel may go forth, and that they may become, in a sense, rich spiritually as well. And that, that gives us joy. That grows us spiritually. That matures us. So as we give generously, sacrificially, consistently, we will grow spiritually. You will grow spiritually. And I know that when you're young, you're first starting off and you're trying to think, okay, I'm not, I don't know how this works. And, but I'm telling you, if you just start, just start giving a little bit, a little bit, a little bit, a little bit. And, and you can start now. And, and I'm telling you, you'll be blessed even at a young age because you're starting those patterns now. And, and, and don't say you, you don't have money because most of you do have something that you can give and start giving now. Even if it's a little, just start giving now. 
I remember I started uh, sponsoring a child, I think, when I was, was in college. I was like, wow, this is a big deal. It's going to cost so much money. But it's, it's awesome. It's awesome to say, okay, I started sponsoring in college, and now we're still sponsoring it now as I'm a, I'm a grand old man. And it's awesome to teach my kids, look, here are kids. We sponsor. But you can start now in small steps, even when you're in college. So there are these great spiritual blessings. But now let's move on to the more controversial Let's be careful on this one. Number two, physical blessings. And I think we have to address it because it's in the Bible. And I, don't, I know that this has been so skewed by the health and wealth preachers and teachers, but we've got to talk about this. We've got to get this one right, okay? Because this gospel, the health and wealth false gospel, is spreading so far around the world and has almost taken hold of certain continents, okay? So let's, let's really get this one right. Let me put up a a quote by the Apostle Paul, 2 Corinthians 9, 6. Paul says, the point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. In in what sense are we going to reap bountifully? You're like, well, spiritually. Yes, of course, spiritually. We'll be more mature. I've already talked about that one. But one of the ways the Lord may bless us is with physical blessings. Let me show another proverb. Proverbs 3, 9 through 10. You're more familiar with this one. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Do you see the consistent giving in that verse? The first fruits, what comes in, you just keep giving to the Lord, give to the Lord. And then it says, be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Now, it's not always the case. It's not always the case, but sometimes that is the case. So let's just go ahead and say, okay, the health and wealth teachers, they're taking a lot of these verses and there is some semblance of truth that they're taking out of there from the Bible And that is, if you give to God and his kingdom, I'm going to couch it in these terms, sometimes, I'll say sometimes, they'll probably say all the times, sometimes God will give it back to you in physical stuff, money. I don't know what it looks like. I can't tell you what it looks like all the time. But here is where the health and wealth teachers are wrong. They say this, give money to God, particularly their ministry, (laughs) give money to God, and then he'll give a lot of money back to you. And then when he gives it back to you, then you go buy a Mercedes Benz, all right? And then once you buy that Benz, your neighbor will say, wow, where'd you get that Mercedes Benz? And you will say, God gave it to me. And you will say, well, how did he give it to you? Well, you see, I put money in the offering, and then God gave it back, and then I got the Mercedes Benz. Don't you see how blessed I am by God? That's the theology. But that is a very self-centered, selfish theology that is heresy that is not in the Bible. We're not giving to get to spend on ourselves. You see how that's off? That that is so off. So let's reconsider what the Bible is actually teaching. All right? 2 Corinthians 9, 10, 11. This is so key. Oh, this is so key to get this verse here. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. 
you will be enriched in every way to be. Now, for those of you looking at the Bible, stop looking at the Bible for now. Let's take a break. I cut that verse off. Boom. Don't look ahead. We are enriched in every way. Okay. What does that mean? Okay, we'll be enriched spiritually, of course, but sometimes physically. So when God enriches us physically, the health and wealth, and people would say, what? God enriches us physically with stuff so we can go more buy stuff so the world can see how blessed we are. No, no, that's not what Paul says. All right, let's finish the verse. Can I put it up here? Let's finish the verse. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. Let's just keep that up there. To be generous in every way. It's, it's going to happen. Not all the time, not every single time, but it's going to happen that when you find yourself consistent, sacrificial generosity, you're giving to the Lord His work, you're helping the poor, you're lending to the Lord. The Bible says you lend to the Lord and you help the poor. Do not be surprised if somehow, I'm not saying this always happens, do not say I said this, but if somehow you like get a raise or a promotion or money comes back to you, I don't know what's going to happen. I'm not, I'm not promising that. But if it does come back to you, you're going to be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. So it's not like, okay, God, I'm going to keep giving to you. You keep giving me more and more stuff. No, no. It's a, wow, God, you bless me. I'm going, to, I'm, going to, I'm going to be generous again. Oh, God, you're giving it back to me? Okay, okay. I'm going to be generous again. Sometimes we don't have as much. We give, and God gets back. We give again. It's, you, especially in Corinthians, you'll see that message. It's amazing. And... and in my life, I have lived this reality, but not always faithfully. It's like I don't even believe it sometimes. When my wife and I got married, and for those of you who get married, sometimes you get a lot of gifts, right? You get a lot of stuff. Well, it's, at one point when we got married, we got cash. Now, if you're young, unemployed, like both of us were, broke, Cash is good. And we, to us, was, it was a lot of cash. And I said, I said uh, we said, you know, we just, we've got to start our marriage off right. And so we gave most of it away. You're crazy, right? But I kid you not, through time, it like comes back. Now, it's, it's, it's easy to be this sacrificial, generous one time but watch, you watch. Some, not all the time, but sometimes it will come back. Then what are you going to do the second time? Then what are you going to do the third time? Or the fourth? See, see how, that's, how it's, it's hard to be consistently faithful? It's like we can be so sacrificial one time. I was great back then, 16 years ago. And awesome. No, God's going to keep giving because keep being generous and generous and generous. That's what we want, this consistent, sacrificial generosity. And if God chooses to bless you and give it back to you financially, consistent, bless others and keep giving. Keep that pattern. Well, the third way, blessings that come to us as we give sacrificially, is eternal blessings. Eternal blessings. This is one you probably expect it. These come from the mouth of Jesus. This is powerful. This comes from the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew six nineteen through 21. We'll finish with this passage. It says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. 
but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. All right, we leave this up for a second. So thankfully, you didn't buy the jeans with your 180 bucks, right? So you feel better about that because you know that moth and I guess rust, I don't know if rust is going to ruin jeans. Moth and rust, eventually those jeans are going to be gone. Everything you buy is going to be gone. All your stuff's going to be gone. You know you can't take it with you. You came naked, you're leaving naked. It's, 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 you, there's nothing you're bringing with you, okay? We, we know that idea. But the idea says if you store up treasures in heaven, put the treasures there, because if you put your treasures in heaven, if you give to the Lord, give to the poor, give to his work, you put your treasures in heaven, and then they're going to stay there. They're not going to be destroyed. And there's that, that's where the treasure and the, and the question is, well, what, what does that mean? Like, uh, are there rewards or something? Are we going to get there and, like, open a bank account? And, wow, look at all the money we gave. I, I, I don't know what it looks like. Maybe it looks like crowns. Maybe it looks like greater responsibilities. I, I can't parse that out what that looks like. But I just know that if God says to do that and that there is blessings and perhaps God is the one dispensing these rewards and it's going to be um, amazing. But I want to tell you this. There is also a reward now in giving. And it comes in the very last part where it says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now get this. Some of you may think, because we teach it here all the time, God, change my heart, change my heart, change my heart, change my heart to where I want to give more. And do we talk about the heart of the church? You would say, yeah, way too much. We talk about the heart all the time. We want God to change us so that we'll give. But this verse says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And you're kind of saying, well, my heart is not for the things of the Lord right now. My heart is not for what he's doing. I think what this verse is saying is, put your money there, and your heart will follow. Because whether we like it or not, our hearts often follow our money. Is that true? Where your money is, you're, you're invested there. You're interested. You, you care about what's going on because you have money there. But if you take your money and give to, say, missionaries, all right, so you give it to a missionary who's doing great work, and they send you a missionary letter through your email, which many of you get, rather than hitting delete, you naughty people, you know you delete those letters, rather than hitting delete, you will not hit delete. Why? That's where your treasure is. You want to know what's going on. That's often what happens when we give. We have more interest, we have more care, more concern, because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so we want this consistent, sacrificial generosity focused on the kingdom rather than the stuff on this earth. One of the things I want to work on in my life, I wish you could work on in your life, is that you need to start to sort out your wants and your needs. If you keep saying that your wants are your needs, then you're just going to be in this cycle over and over again. And you keep confusing your wants and needs, then you won't, felt, then you won't practice consistent, sacrificial 
generosity. And as we head toward revival next week, I want to tell you that greed can be the number one thing in many of your hearts that can keep you from revival. Greed can keep you from gospel renewal. If you do not deal with this greed and find forgiveness in Christ who died on the cross for the greedy, if you do not deal with this greed, then next week, if you come to the meetings, you're just going through the motions. And I don't want you to go through the motions next week. I want you to acknowledge if it's there, confess it, repent, and start charting a path of consistent sacrificial generosity. And if you're here this morning and you think, there, I'm no longer going to be greedy, I'm no longer going to go down this path, but you're saying, I'm going to live this path of non-greed, and you're going to be neutral, I'm going to tell you, it's not going to work. You cannot live the neutral path of non-greed. You're either going to be consistent and sacrificial, and you're giving, or you're going to go the other way. There's not going to be neutrality. I'm going to tell you why. Many of you have gone on mission trips. Many of you have gone to places for your work, other parts of the country, and you've seen poverty. Many of you in here went to the Haiti trip we had last year. Many of you have been to different parts of the world where you've seen great poverty. And I know that many of you, when you came back, your eyes were open so big. You saw that your brothers and sisters that are, some of them were even, you know, that were brothers and sisters in Christ over there did not have anything. And you thought to yourself, I am going to stop doing what I'm doing so that they can have more. And your eyes were open, right? And you were really consistent and you were going that direction. But after a while, it faded. And the question is, why did it fade? Like, why did you start falling back into your American pattern of consumption and greed? Why? Why did you keep, why did you start going down that road again? And I think the answer is this. You thought you could be neutral. You thought you could be neutral. You thought you could get back and go, well, that's terrible, but that's okay. I'm, I'm not going to do anything about it. And you're just going to be neutral. I'm telling you guys, we're either going one direction or we're going the other. There's no, no path of non-greed. It's just a path of consistent, sacrificial generosity. To keep being sacrificial and consistent and generous. And we do it with joy. Not because we have to, because we want to. That's where joy is. And we know the defaults of our heart. And we want them to be reset for the glory of God and head in a different direction, all for the praise of his name. Let's pray. Lord, we praise you that you sent your son Jesus to die for greedy sinners like me and us. Please, Lord, help us not to enter Revival Week by ignoring this part of our life. Show us how that you have made us rich in you by your poverty and show us that there is joy in you. There's more important things than wealth and money and consumption and that there actually can be joy in giving, joy in seeing others fed, enjoying seeing the gospel go forth to where it's not at. There's joy and generosity, Lord. Show us that. And not just as you teach our brothers and sisters who are young, it's just new to them. They're just trying to figure this out. Show them how to set their patterns now so that when they make more money later, lots more money later, that they will be consistent and sacrificial and generous in their giving. Lord, deal with this part in our life. Deal with this. Deal with the other issues we dealt with and the other deadly sins. I just ask you to prepare us for revival. Get our hearts worshiping you, acknowledging what's going on, and being honest about what is going on in our lives. May you receive the praise and glory. It's what we want. We all praise and glory to go to you.
In Christ's name, amen.